So they tell me you girls are models for uh, Victoria's Secret. Oh, we are. Or Victoria's big secret. <laughs> well, Victoria couldn't keep a secret this big. It's a new line of lingerie for the full-figured woman. Because you know what they say. You're never too big to be sexy. Oh, do you know who says that? <laughs> Fat girls. Let's rock. Thanks, Dad. Can I get a woman? No Man Presents, live from the nudie bar, the Married with Children podcast. Welcome back to the Married with Children podcast. This is Luigi, and I always go to work wearing a suit and smelling of high karate. Captain Planet, he's a hero. Gonna take pollution down to zero. Gonna help him put asunder bad guys who like to loot and plunder. And this is Chris, and I'm just reliving uh, one of my favorite cartoons that I had as a kid called Captain Planet. And this is Carolyn. I don't want to eat off of Greg Allman either. <laughs> <laughs> so, welcome back, everyone. Thank you again for joining us. So today we are reviewing Season 8, Episode 22, Ride Scare. Original air date, April 24th, 1994. Al opposes a forced carpooling until he learns that three lingerie models are in the group, only to discover the models are full-figured. Al and his group are then chosen to promote a campaign by the local health board to appear in commercial advertisements to clean up overpolluted Chicago. But when Al and the ladies are asked to pick it outside a chemical plant where Kelly works as the Verminator spokesmodel, Al must decide whether or not to help close down the plant and make Kelly lose her job or give up his fame and fortune. Meanwhile, no one seems to care after Bud announces that he has made the dean's list at college. Special guest stars. Sandra Taylor as Naomi, Paul Eisenhower as Alderman Johnson, Jane Abbott as Alexis, Shannon Dunn as Monique, and Deborah Christofferson as Paulina. So the title of this is a pun on rideshare, which is another term for carpool. Anyway, so Carolyn, thank you again for joining us. Oh, it's great to be here, Luigi. We really had a great time hearing about your stories talking about how you got into Married with Children and all of your experiences with uh, David Garrison and some of our overseas Married with Children fanatics. So thanks again for joining us. We really appreciate it. No problem. I love it. Okay, so let's get started. We open with Peg watching the Home Shopping Network. Next up on the Home Shopping Network, Boyfriends of Share Collector Plates. <laughs> Ew. Who'd want to eat off a of Greg Almond? <laughs> I do have one objection to that. He was not Cher's boyfriend. He was one of her husbands. I guess it made its way there, huh? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so Greg Almond was a singer-songwriter and musician. Uh, he died in 2017. He was known for performing in the Almond Brothers Band. He wrote several of the band's biggest songs, including Whipping Post, Melissa, Midnight Rider, and Jessica, 
which became the theme for Top Gear. He also had a successful solo career, releasing seven studio albums. He was born and spent much of his childhood in Nashville, Tennessee, before relocating to Daytona Beach, Florida, and then Richmond Hill, Georgia. He was married a record-breaking seven times, and his most well-known relationship was with Cher, who he married in 1975 and divorced in 1978. So they have a child together, Elijah Blue Allman. There was also a joke in episode 20 this season, The Darcy Files, about Cher's boyfriends. Yeah, that's a really good episode. I, I like that one, The Darcy Files. We, we finally get to learn some, some concrete information about Jefferson's past, or do we? Is it all a hoax? I don't know. You kind of have to watch that episode this week to find out. <laughs> I've never known what to believe about Jefferson after that episode, but it is one of my favorites, too. Yeah, she, 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 had, she had won an Oscar a few years previously, I believe, so she was pretty high profile back then. So Al walks in the door. You won't believe what they're doing at the mall now. Putting a sign in front of the shoe store that says, over two pairs sold. <laughs> that hurts, Peg. Not as much as seeing you first thing in the morning, but that still hurts. <laughs> anyway, they're making us all carpool. Damn this cleaner, greener Chicago program. Do you realize that they even want us to conserve water? Well, did you tell them about how much water you save on showers? I did. You know, this conservation crap has gone a little too far. I mean, what do we take this country from the Indians for in the first place if we're not going to use it? (laughs) (laughs) So Al rants about uh, conservation. Now, Carolyn... You're from New York City area, as I am. So if you remember, the early 90s was a period of time where, if you remember, the buildings did not have water meters. So in the early 1990s, they started putting in water meters because uh, some cities like New York, uh, you could use as much water as you wanted. And there was just like a, a fee that you paid for the year, but they really didn't know how much you actually consumed. So I remember during this time period to try to save on water. They would install water meters, and they also started with those low-flush toilets. I do remember the low-flush toilets, yes. Um, I had just graduated, so I was living in Boston at the time. But Boston did pretty much the same thing. Um, you never thought about how much you had to pay for your water. You just, it just wasn't in your mind because it wasn't needed. It, wasn't, it was kind of included in your rent or whatever. This was during the Clinton administration, so his VP, Al Gore, was starting to get involved in his whole environmental movement, making it much more high-profile than it had been, yes. And water conservation was definitely part of it. Yeah, you know, now I remember, you know, speaking of water, like I'm surprised that Married with Children didn't do something about his toilet, you know, the Ferguson. Yes. Like, in other words, it's like, you know, if you wanted to conserve water, like, you know, they would have introduced like a low flush, try to figure out a way to get a low flush toilet into uh, the house. I thought that would be pretty funny. (laughs) I think it would have been great, but maybe they felt the uh, toilet joke genre was pretty much uh, done. Yeah, I remember Unhappily Ever After, which obviously... Ron Levitt uh, started, there was an episode where people were going to Canada to try to smuggle in the non-low-flush toilets because that was the only place you could still get like toilets. But I just thought it was, uh, uh, what's the word? It's a, it, it just thought it was funny. Like when you talk about conservation, again, what would Al Bundy be interested in? It's like, and we'd be all up in arms if, you know, somebody, you know, <laughs> reduced the amount of water he could use to flush the Ferguson. <laughs> Definitely a missed opportunity there, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) 
I, I know I know our founder Alex Edwards would certainly love that episode because he loves the toilet episodes like enough of my own and such, you know. No, actually, no. Al- uh, actually, Alex know, did not like. I know, I know. I'm messing. I'm messing. Yeah, <laughs> I, you know, Alex. Yeah. We, we've ribbed him. We've ribbed him a lot because the hardcore yeah. married with children fans, you know, love the toilet humor. But uh, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> Alex and Jerry were not real fans of that. So if uh, I recommend all of you to listen back to uh, Alex and Jerry's review of, of the Ferguson, A Dump of My Own. Uh, that's back in season two or three. Uh, season three, yeah. I will. So Marcy enters wearing a cleaner, greener Chicago T-shirt. Al Bundy, why would you leave that landfill you call a car running after you come home? I didn't. Just takes a while to stop. <laughs> I mean, when you cut a chicken's head off, it still runs around the room. <laughs> there, it's off. Can I interject something quickly here? I've noticed that Ed O'Neill, Amanda Burris, and Christina Applegate, they all have business, which means a movement or something, to uh, kill time while their applause dies down. They all three have that. And this is one of my favorite Marcy entrances. The way she bursts in, Looks at, glares at Al, and then goes back and gla- then looks back and glares at his car. I think it's the funniest thing. Even and the t-shirt is hilarious too. Even though I don't like, I do not like this season's haircut on her. I don't think it's her best haircut at all. So Marcy says, Al Bundy, why would you let that landfill you, you call a car running after you come home? It says it did, and it just takes a while to stop. I mean, when you cut a chicken's head off, it still runs around a room. <laughs> <laughs> So, Luigi, uh, I actually have something to say here. You know, we've all heard that saying about if you cut a chicken's head off, it will run around afterwards. Or the one I always heard as a kid was that if you run it, if you cut a chicken's head off, it'll run around until the end of day, until the sun goes down or whatever. And, you know, when he said that, that was an obvious jab at Marcy. But I got to thinking, I asked myself, is this actually true or is this just an old (laughs) wise tale? Is it true or is it just an old wise tale? So I did a bit of research. And the answer is kind of complicated. The best answer is no, it's not true. When you cut a chicken's head off, what happens is, and I'm going to explain this in a very non-scientific way because I'm not a doctor or anything, but what happens is it cuts the nerve endings and sends those nerve endings down the spine to the chicken's arms or legs or wings or whatever you want to call them. And it usually, and it causes their legs to move and their wings to move, but they don't actually get up and run around though. But... (laughs) I actually did find a story that is pretty intriguing. It's from back in the 1940s, and it's about a farmer at, in Utah that cut one of his chickens' heads off. I assume he, he was going to you know, cook it or something, but he cut the chicken's head off, and the chicken actually came back to life the next day. And I know this probably sounds like a hoax or nonsense, <laughs> but it's not. And he took this chicken to the University of Utah to have it you know, looked at and, and to have it substantiated to, to where people would know it's not a hoax. And, you know, the university is one of the top schools there in the state. And what happened is when he cut the chicken's head off, he didn't cut all of the brain stem off. So the chicken stayed alive for 18 months after this, after he cut the head off. And so this farmer and by the way, everybody can look this up and I'll post the story down in the comments, but it's called Mike the headless chicken. Oh, this guy, wow, this, wow. this this farmer took this chicken and put him. He put him in all the circuses, and he became a sideshow. At his peak, he was earning forty five hundred dollars a month. Now, this is back in the forties, <laughs> by the way. So that translates when you adjust that for inflation. That's 
I, I had the number written down. I think it's $67,000 a month in today's dollars. Wow. Uh, <laughs> wow. Six, uh, 65000 He was making $65,000 a month parading this chicken around because, I mean, that'd be a sight to see, a chicken with no head running around. And this thing <laughs> did everything normal. And I know people are thinking, well, how is that possible? But he was feeding it through its eye, through an eye drop, and there was an entire operation to keep this thing alive and everything. But anyways – I don't want to go on too long about that, but I when I heard Al make that joke, I was like, "Is that actually true? Can they do that?" And usually <laughs> the answer is is no, because if a living creature doesn't have a brain, obviously it's dead. But in this one case, it was true, and I'll uh, I'll I'll share the story uh, in the comment section down below where people can see it. Mike the headless chicken. <laughs> Mike, the, wow. I'm sure after that happened, the the farmer. When that chicken died, the farmer tried cutting a lot of heads off of chickens to try to recreate that. You know? <laughs> yes, 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 yes. You're absolutely correct. And, and it's funny and it's kind of sad because uh, other farmers heard of this and they heard how much money he was he was bankrolling. So sadly, a lot of other farmers tried to duplicate the same thing by decapitating chickens and zero percent of them were successful. No one could ever duplicate that. Well, I was just going to say if Chick-fil-A was around back then, you know, at least think people could have made a lot of sandwiches out of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this this farmer just got lucky. He cut the head off at the exact perfect spot to where the, the, the chicken would technically still be alive and able to move around because it still had the majority of its brain stem. <laughs> but anyways, that's the story there on Mar Marcy's joke and or Al's joke at, at Marcy's expense. And it answers the age-old question, can chickens run around with their head cut off? Well, in this <laughs> one case, yes, they can. <laughs> That's great. Al says that a man's car is his castle. Well, it's cars like yours that make carpooling necessary, which is why I'm glad my bank is one of the cleaner, greener sponsors. Marcy, it is a man's God-given right to drive alone in his car. A man's car is his castle. I thought a man's home was his castle. It is, if he can slay the dragon that's living there. <laughs> Besides, too many people in one car spells trouble. I mean, what are we supposed to do when someone cuts us off? Are we all supposed to give him the finger? No, just whichever one of you can get it out of his nose first. A man's nose is also his castle. In my America, a man's car and his nose is his castle. So I was talking before about the toilets. So I wonder if this was a tieback because uh, if you remember when Peg turned the bathroom pink, that episode was a man's castle. Oh. So back in season five. So I wonder if that was the uh, intent. <laughs> <laughs> Just interesting there. Yep. Well, in my America, there's one giant bus that the whole world gets on to ride to work together. And on this bus, I greet people from different lands, each in their own native language. You're talking about the city bus. <laughs> well, I, I especially love this joke because it's totally true. I ride the city bus all the time, and it is like a mini UN everywhere. So, <laughs> so he's exactly right. Although nowadays you have to get in the back door, and the bus driver can't wave to you because he's sealed off with COVID. So... <laughs> <laughs> now you know this scene here is what's used in 
the credits for season nine. So in season nine, when uh, they're introducing Amanda Burst, they actually show this scene with her wearing that cleaner, greener Chicago shirt. So that's uh, the opening credits come from that. I noticed that right away. I was like, I was like, wait a minute. Maybe they like the greedy yep. expression on her face. Yep. yep. <laughs> One more observation. The car noise coming from the street of the poor old Dodge. That is a that comes from a very time honored entertainment tradition. On the radio, Jack Benny had the great Mel Brooks do the sounds for his 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 car, which was in was the old Maxwell. The car noises were so funny and so sophisticated. The car practically became a character on the radio. Can you remember the day you bought your first automobile? I can remember driving mine home, for I had my friend Mel Blank with me. Mel and I still work together, and I still have the Maxwell. So, so I think it's a, I think it's a callback to that. Meredith Children has always been good with the sound effects. They really know what they're doing. They really know the traditions. Yeah, no, that that's great, Carolyn. Yeah, you know, and I, I've said that before. The one thing I'll say about the Meredith Children writers is that they really play, paid homage to their predecessors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that all of them, you know, and again, this is another episode uh, like the one we reviewed last week that was written by Nancy Newfeld. So I give I give a lot of credit for again some of the references. I mean this one is not as reference heavy as the last one, but uh, definitely again a homage is paid to the past. Yep, yep, definitely. I think Marvel Children is going to be one of those things that are used in history later with other comedies too. Absolutely. Yeah. So Al laments another change to his life where he has to be forced to carpool. Hank, whatever happened to the time when a man could burn a tank of gas backing out of his own driveway? When a man could take a hooker to a steakhouse and no one would even blink an eye? Hank, why can't we go back to simpler times? Al, look at this place. And he's simpler and we'd be Bushmen. You know who I really feel for, don't you? The kids. I mean, what's the point in being young if you can't get in a big old car with a really dumb girl? So Bud comes in and tells his parents that he got straight A's and made the dean's list. Dad? I got straight A's and made the dean's list. Son, I wish you could have been alive back when I was. Of course, I probably wouldn't have let you hang out with me. But Back when a time when a man could be a man and a car could be a car, when we had one hand on the wheel and one hand on the girl and one hand on the stick... That's what I liked about the old days. We had more hands. Uh huh. Mom, I made the dean's list. Oh, and I'm very proud of you. Now tell me, honey, who is this dean? Is he a nice boy? Listen to rants like this, I realize that Al would have been very happy to be in the Mad Men era 30 years before this. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's funny, like it reminds me of that line from uh, season one when they, the, from the episode, Have You Driven a Ford Lately? When Steve says, there's something about a stick shift. <laughs> yes. That's, I, I hear that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, which also makes me wonder, 
for these writers, like if you're a writer on a TV show, like if I had the opportunity, I guess, to interview someone, I would ask the question. It's like, if you're a writer, like, do you watch the entire series? It's like, in other words, like Nancy Newfeld, who wrote this episode, and I'm not sure like when she first wrote for Married with Children, it's like, does she watch, was she supposed to have watched the entire series? Like, do they give her tapes? She could watch the whole thing? to understand her characters or they just give her some select ones like like how do you develop a canon and how do you develop how do you write for someone you know if this is your first time writing you know that's like i guess one of my questions i would ask a writer i don't know you guys have any perspective on that yeah i think that's a good question a lot of a lot of the best writers we know them by name you know your stacy lips uh your you know of course uh ron levitt michael moyer a lot of times when even, uh, you know, some of the good episodes that are written by Kevin Curran, you know, the guy who voiced uh, Buck in most of the episodes. But sometimes we see these writers that are, you know, one or two episodes and you ask yourself, it's like, man, it doesn't feel like they really know the characters very well. Some of them appear to know the characters really well. And then other ones is like, I don't know if they really understand uh, who Al Bundy is or who uh, Marcy Rhodes Darcy is or who Kelly Bundy is. You know what I mean? So it's I hear hard that. To know yeah. Sure. Yeah. I, I think I think for for a so-called wacky sitcom, I think MWC was relatively consistent. I mean, no one no one changed their middle names and uh, people's ages didn't go and their professions stayed the same and all that. And there was there was a loose arc to them like by, by going to college and all that. But you're right, though, I think I think especially in the later times. They, I think I would hire people who could write wacky rather than write to the characters. But someone like Nancy Newfeld, I don't know her history, but I, I think she got the characters down really well. So now we have what I'm going to call a very Abbott and Costello type of exchange. Mom, Dad. I am getting a raise at the extermination company. Oh! <laughs> I was also voted Employee of the Month. <laughs> so Pest Boys is going to hold this big award ceremony for me in a few weeks. Oh, i got to go tell my friend. Oh, honey. They might even put my name on the golden fly swatter. <laughs> oh, Al. Our little girl is all grown up. <laughs> <laughs> kind of puts this Dean's thing in perspective, doesn't it? <laughs> kind of puts my genetic makeup in perspective. <laughs> Listen to that, Peg. Now he's using makeup. First this Dean thing, and now this. Now look what you've done. You get out of here. You've upset your mother. So this whole thing about... It's like Al says, well, kind of puts this Dean's thing in perspective, right? Kind of puts my genetic makeup in perspective. It's like, listen to Peg, now he's using makeup. First this Dean thing, you know, et cetera. I mean, that to me is very reminiscent of who's on first. Well, let's see, we have uh, who's on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on third. That's what I want to find and, out. And then we, I say who's on first, uh, what's on second, I don't know who's on third. Yeah, you know the fellow's that, names? Yes. Well, who's on first? Yes. I mean the fellow's name. Yes. I mean the guy playing first. Who? The fellow playing first. Who? The first baseman. Who? The guy playing first. Who is on first? Well, what are you asking me for? <laughs> I'm not asking you, I'm telling you. Who is on first? I'm asking you who's on first. That's the man's name. Well, go ahead and tell me. That's the man's name. That's whose name? Yes. Well, go ahead and tell me. Who? The guy on first base. Who? The <laughs> yes, exactly. The whole literalism thing. Even from Peg. Peg is usually a little more supportive than this, but she's just focusing on the word makeup. Ah! <laughs> Occasionally, 
like uh, at work. So I manage people. And sometimes when you ask people to do things, they don't necessarily like completely comprehend what you're saying. And it's not, it's not their fault. It's not your fault. It's like, you know, it has to do with like how you say things. So I remember about a year ago, I played the Who's On First skit. I found it on YouTube because we were having a meeting and I played this. And, you know, and everyone in the room is hysterically laughing. It was probably the first time that they had seen it, a lot of young people. And it just so happened that I, maybe like a, I'm going to say a few days after that, I actually showed it to my kids. So I have two young kids. And about two weeks ago, they saw it on YouTube again. And they, they, they were so excited to come show me. He's like, look, daddy. It's like, look, you remember this? And I'm like, yeah. And, and they're laughing at Abbott and Costello. And mind you, it's like, that is probably at this point, what, 80 years old? Wow. <laughs> but it goes to show you, it's like, you know, comedy is comedy. And it, it doesn't have to be something that was done yesterday in order for it to be funny. I mean, and that is something that is really timeless. Yeah, I agree 100%. I always say that the, the true test of, of a good comedy or good movie, or or even a good video game, for example, is does it stand the test of time? Meaning, can you pick it up and watch it and still enjoy it the same way you did twenty or thirty years ago? You know, like I could pop in, you know, season, you know, almost any season of Married with Children or any or any episode and enjoy it the same way I did when I first saw it. You know, and, and in many ways, I enjoy it even more now because. I'm an adult and I and I understand all the jokes. You know, m- many of these uh, episodes, the first time I saw them, I was you know, six or seven, eight, nine, ten years old. So I didn't know what some of these themes meant, you know, but this show totally, uh, yeah. and, and, and a lot and a lot of shows. And I'll give another example, I, you know, not to go too far out of here, but like uh, Full House and Family Matters are two shows that I watched as a kid. For whatever reason, it seems like Full House to me, I know I'm going to upset some people here, but Full House to me has depreciated over time and Family Matters has appreciated. Like when I watch Family Matters, I still laugh and yeah, it's corny, but like when I watch Full House, I'm like, man, this is too corny and too much. Like (laughs) I I tried watching the Fuller House reboot and I don't know, I just couldn't, I just couldn't get into it. I was like, ah, this is just too much. It's too corny. You know what I mean? But uh, some shows age better than others. And I, and I think Married with Children, it was already incredible in its original run, but I think it's gotten better over time. I really do. I think you're right. Yes, I'm not married and I don't have kids. But other than that, as a homeowner, as, a, um, as someone, someone who's uh, worked in this economy and the 90s economy that I was in, I mean, a bit higher up than now. I mean, everyone is higher up than now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, come on, you weren't a shoe salesman, were you? I mean, come on. No, nobody, no, no, I was no, not. No, no, never, 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 never yeah. got that low. No, yeah. what, what, <laughs> never that bad. Of, what type of grown person would sell shoes for a living? I mean, come on. <laughs> Absolutely not. No, 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 <laughs> no, not that. But, 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 just being in the workplace, being a homeowner, dealing with friends, dealing with divorce. I mean, a great comedy can appreciate for different stages in life. You can appreciate different things about it. Which is exactly mm-hmm. what Chris was saying anyway. So so Al's not happy about carpooling, and the mall sends someone over who Al doesn't think he wants to talk to at first. <laughs> Don't answer it, Peg. That's the representative of the mall. They're coming over here to tell me who I have to carpool with. As far as I'm concerned, they can rot out there. Come in! <laughs> or they can rot in here with me. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Are you Al Bundy? <laughs> oh, yes, I am. 
Ahem. Oh, and that's my, uh, my, my housekeeper, Consuelo. Uh, 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 Consuela upstairs, though. I'm his wife. It's a marriage of convenience. Um, unfortunately, not mine. I'm deporting her. Um, can I get you a drink or a, a, a condominium? No, thanks, Mr. Bundy. My name is Naomi, and I'm with Victoria's Secret. Oh, I love your work. I know. I've seen your face prints on the window. So in walks a really hot chick, and the hot chick is played by Sandra Korn. She plays the character of Naomi, and she was the March 1991 Penthouse Centerfold. <laughs> wow. Did, man, Luigi, I got to ask you this. As a guy, did, did you just laugh so hard the way Al stood up and looked when that chick walked in? And I guess the second part of my question is, did that remind you of the season two episode, Earth's Angel? <laughs> Gobble do me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's how Steve said, yeah. That was how, but man, look at the way, like I'm watching it right now as we're recording. And the way Al stands up, <laughs> he, hop, man, he goes from being depressed and everything to just hopping right up, man, when she walks in. <laughs> it, it was hilarious. I, th- I, thought, I thought she was a beautiful woman. And, um, and like most of the beautiful women on the show, many of them anyway, they know exactly what they have. They know exactly what they're doing. And they're not, yep. exactly, they're not exactly manipulating the men per se, but they're getting what they want. Yep. I, I pointed it out on last week's episode when Bud gave up his spotted line to yep. Fergie and her friends. I'm like, mm-hmm. us, guy, us guys, we're just idiots when it comes to... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're, just, we're just idiots when it comes to <laughs> women. <laughs> she doesn't volunteer the information to the plus size, but then again, he never asked what they're like anyway. So, you know, not her fault. <laughs> yep. I, I especially love like some of the lines that they write for these girls uh, with uh, the character of Naomi. <laughs> He says, I'm, she says, I'm with Victoria's Secret. Al says, oh, I love your work. It's like, I know. I've seen your face prints on the window. <laughs> <laughs> and the whole joke about Peg being Consuela. I think that's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty funny. It's a little, it's a little un-PC these days, but, but so, was, um, so was Peggy's joke. Just how was any more simple, we'd be Bushmen. They prefer to be called the San people these days, and they're not—they're not uncivilized. They're just not very materialistic, as all. So, but, but the Consuelo thing was fun, though. I think after 40 years in Chicago, you pick up a little more Spanish than that. But oh well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No thanks, Mr. Bundy. My name is Naomi, and I'm with Victoria's Secret. Oh, I love your work. <laughs> I know. I've seen your face prints on the window. <laughs> the mall sent me over here to ask you if you would join us in our carpool. I'm in. <laughs> Let's go. Adios, Consuela. Actually, I'm not driving, but several of our models do live in the area. They do? Oh, Consuela. <laughs> we live model adjacent. Blot your chin. And your pants. So, uh, when do my models come to get me? 7 a.m. Oh, that's good, because I don't have to be there till 10, which gives me a lot of time for coffee, cartwheels, and uh, a cold shower. <laughs> He's just kidding about the shower. Here are your models' names. Why, thank you. Bye. Bye. 
Alexis, Monique, and Paulina. Oh, my. Alexis, Monique, and Paulina. Oh, my. Oh, my. So, Alexis, Monique, and Paulina. Oh, my. So, this is a homage to Lions and Tigers and Bear from The Wizard of Oz. Lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. Lions and tigers and bears. Lions and tigers and bears. Oh my! Lions and tigers and bears. Oh my! And Al does his little dance as he wakes his way upstairs to, to go take a shower. <laughs> <laughs> so now we cut to the car interior. Al is sandwiched between plus-size models Monique and Alexis in the back, while Paulina is driving in the front. So they tell me you girls are models for uh, Victoria's Secret. Oh, we are. For Victoria's big secret. Well, Victoria couldn't keep a secret this big. It's a new line of lingerie for the full-figured woman. Because you know what they say. You're never too big to be sexy. Oh, do you know who says that? Fat girls. So they are models for Victoria's big secret. Uh, and uh, there's a joke you guys might not get here. Victoria's Secret is notorious for not having plus-size models. They hired the first plus-size model in 2019. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I remember it was a big controversy about how, mm-hmm. they, how, how they were not hiring plus-size models. Exactly, you're, exactly. You're so, I, so, I, I, so it's 1994 here. I don't know if they're making fun of Victoria's Secret. And I'm a little surprised Victoria's Secret let them get away with it, but oh well. <laughs> Yeah. Maybe they thought, maybe, maybe like, any exposure is good exposure. Well, back in 1994, you would have, they would have been talking about the catalog. Because you, you remember that used to be a big event when Victoria's Secret issued its catalog for the year and that hit the mail? Oh, that's right. Later, they had a runway show on TV for it, too. Yeah, I mean, on the next episode, The Legend of Ironhead Haynes, this is uh, it's one of the jokes that is, is about that Victoria's Secret catalog. Oh, Okay. So season eight is kind of a running, there was a reference to Victoria's Secret in the, in noon or later too. So, you know, she could wear Victoria's Secret lingerie. I don't know who she'd wear it for, but, you know, Peg could have gotten some of that. So, And, you know, and these women, I'll say, you know, they're actually like very like nice looking women. You know, they're full figured, but they're not. Oh, yes. Uh, they're not sort of like the hags that usually uh, come into the shoe store. As a woman, you know, first time I saw this, I was, I was like pretty put off. But when I look at it now, I think that we're meant to see. Al is wrong here. These ladies are pretty, witty, smart, good-hearted, and uh, and later he becomes friends with them. And I think I think initially I think initially we're supposed to la- I think we start off laughing with Al. I think we end up laughing at Al toward the end. That's right. Yeah, you know it's funny. It, we're, you know we're talking about this because I had in my notes, and I know we talked about this before. I know Alex Edwards has talked about it in the past, but how in the world does casting for scenes like this work? Because you have to put out a, you have to put out a casting call, and it has to say. To play this part, you need to be obese, first of all, but you need, to, you need to be okay with going on national television and being made fun of for being obese. Like, I mean, it's like, I don't, like how, does, how does casting for that work? I mean, it'd be like, like being, I'm just trying, I'm trying to think of a male equivalent. Like, I guess men are, men are self-conscious about their height. So you'd have to put out a casting call for like a guy who's four foot nine or something. 
and be and that guy would have to be okay with going on national television and being made fun of ruthlessly <laughs> for being for being short. You know what I mean? It's like I always laugh at these. Like I give the, these women who do this, I give them a lot of credit because I mean, I guess you know if you're if you're wanting to get into acting and you have no connections, I suppose you'll subject yourself to to whatever it takes to get into the industry, but. I agree with what both of you. I agree with both of what you said, but what both of you guys said that uh, I don't think these women are are ugly by any stretch. I mean, they're no, cer- they're certainly full figured, but I mean, they're they're nice, they're pleasant to be around. I noticed, mm-hmm. I noticed at least at least one of them. I can't remember now, but I, at least one of them has a noticeable Southern accent. You know, and I'm I'm from the South. I I, I find <laughs> I find Southern accents attractive, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, mm-hmm. like, but I always wonder about casting uh, uh, for for scenes like this, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, uh, Chris, we'll have to, you'll have to find an issue of Backstage and see if you can find ads like that. I'm sure they're around somewhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, you know, one of the things I will say about that is that, you know, usually, like, for example, in Nooner or Later, which we reviewed last week, Al gets the final word with women. Like, in other words, all of the women who are in there, usually, like, he's got the last word, although he does get punched out once. In this one, <laughs> when, they, when they have their dialogue, it's like it's actually Alexis, Monique, and Paulina. Like, they actually seem to always get the last word, you know, until Al has that, has that turnaround. Interesting. Yeah, there's a great line in there. So do you always go to work wearing a suit and smelling a high karate? No, do you always go to work wearing curtains and smelling of Mars bars? Now, I had no idea what that was. When I first looked at the transcript, I looked it up. I was like, what's high karate? And I found out that it was a budget aftershave that that was sold in the U.S. and the U.K. from the 60s through the 80s. Oh. If you look on YouTube, you can find some commercials uh, from the 70s. Uh, of that, but uh, supposedly, I guess it wouldn't, didn't smell very good if it was budget. <laughs> this is high karate, and this unsuspecting girl is about to catch its irresistible scent. The high karate scent that can turn a usually docile woman into a ravenous creature. Oh, look out, mate! Oh, 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 oh. A scent so irresistible that every pack of high karate carries essential instructions. On the self-defense. High karate aftershave. Be careful how you use it. <laughs> I didn't date a lot of guys who used aftershave, so I didn't know it. <laughs> well, my favorite joke in that stretch was, you know what they say, you're never too big to be sexy. And Al goes, you know who says that? Fat girls. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, man. <laughs> That's great, Chris. Well, well I, you know, I might take away from this scene, there was, there was one... One verbal joke and one nonverbal joke. The nonverbal joke was, okay, okay, you have uh, you have three three plus size women, a bunch of food, and Al. Who should be riding the shotgun? That's right. Al should be. You're Al, right. The food, the food, the food gets to ride shotgun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The food is more important than Al, definitely. I noticed that too when I was taking my notes. So there's two explanations for this. One. Just from a visual standpoint for the cameras, if Al is sitting in the front seat, you can't see that lady on the left. So I think they should, plus it just looks funnier having Al squeezed in in the back. 
So oh, definitely. I think, I think they decided, all right, well, we'll have Al squeezed in in the back. Well, we have to put something up front or it's going to look dumb. <laughs> so they're like, all right, mm-hmm. we'll, pile some, we'll pile some fried chicken up there, some Mars <laughs> bars. We'll put some, you know, we'll put all types of goodies up there. We'll put some snickerdoodles and all types of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it reminds me of that summer in Hawaii with Tony. God, what a lover. Oh, man, you could do it all night long. Did I ever tell you about that time me and John Claude joined the Mile High Club? I was wearing this frilly little skirt and not much underneath. Well... Pull over! <laughs> what? Pull over, I've got a heave. Up or I'll pound you like a scallopini. We're almost there. Uh-oh, the police! What did we do? Well, I don't know. Maybe we missed a truck scale. <laughs> but uh, on the positive side, maybe they'll get me out of here before I turn into a diamond. Although, you know, it's funny when you say diamond, because, you know, like that's sort of the end of that, that clip. They said it's like they maybe they'll get me out of there before I turn into a diamond. So I'm just saying, like, then, you get squeezed so much. Exactly right. <laughs> and the verbal joke is, um, once again, poor Al is stuck between two people recounting, giving sexy talk to each other that he wants no part of. It happens later on with Marcin Jefferson in the one where right. he's the godfather, which is that one. No, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, not, not the godfather. When Marcin gives Marcin's speech giving. Martin oh, yeah. yeah, that was this past season. I don't think we we reviewed that. Uh, I think one of the other teams reviewed that one. Yes. Yeah, I know which one you're talking about. Uh, let me see here. That was... Thank you, Martin. Annabelle, Matt, and Chris. Uh, Chris N. reviewed that. Mm-hmm. Got to listen to that one, too, yes. But Al has the exact same expression. The poor guy is stuck between two people. <laughs> We're talking about their sexcapades in front of him. <laughs> <laughs> And also in that scene, they talk about Mars bars and Chunkies. So Mars is a chocolate bar produced by Mars Incorporated. It was first manufactured in 1932 in Slow, England. Sorry for all the Brits out there if I mispronounced that. There are two different formulations. There is an original British version, which is caramel nougat coated with milk chocolate, developed to resemble the American chocolate bar known as Milky Way. And the American version of the Mars bar also has nougat and toasted almonds covered in milk chocolate and later caramel. Uh, The American version was discontinued in 2002 and then revived the following year under the name Snickers Almond. Interesting. All right. And the Chunky is a Nestle candy. It's known for its trapezoidal shape and consists of milk chocolate, California raisins, and roasted peanuts. So the carpool gets pulled over and we get introduced to Alderman Johnson. What seems to be the problem, officers? Hi, I'm Alderman Johnson. Would you four be carpooling? No, I'm their lunch. <laughs> What's up? Uh, well, we were following you and uh, laughing and pointing. <laughs> and as it turns out, despite our best efforts, you're the only people carpooling in all of Chicago. <laughs> we're also the only people eating snickerdoodles by the gallon. <laughs> Well, we'd like you and your friends to represent the city in its new media campaign, Everybody Into the Carpool. Forget it. You got the wrong guy. Uh, well, 
That's too bad because your first promotional appearance would have been courtside at the Chicago Bulls playoff game. Cheesecake. <laughs> now, a, a quick note about him. I, at first, I thought this was Brian Baumgartner who played Kenneth in the office, but it wasn't. Go ahead. <laughs> so I just thought that it was funny. He says, you know, Al says we're the only people eating snickerdoodles by the gallon. <laughs> so that's another candy. Uh, so snickerdoodle is a type of cookie made with butter or oil, sugar and flour, and rolled in cinnamon sugar. Eggs may be sometimes used as an ingredient with cream of tartare and baking soda added to leaven the dough. Snickerdoodles are characterized by a cracked surface and can be crisp or soft depending on the ingredients used. Uh, so being Italian, usually I eat Italian cookies and stuff. So some, <laughs> some of these things are a little uh, foreign to me. <laughs> Al does a complete 180 on his relationship with Alexis, Monique, and Paulina. Oh, here comes your daddy. Hi, I'm Al Bundy. Many of you know me as Al Bundy. There was a time I scored four touchdowns in one game on this field, but now I can't run four feet without being tackled by someone else's garbage. Be a part of my team. Touchdown for Mother Earth. Let's help keep Chicago green and clean. Peace. What a load. I think it's pretty funny. It's like, you know, pick up litter and clean your plates. (laughs) Chris, to your point before, what I think is funny is it's like, these actresses, I mean, they know that they're not, you know, these stick figures, but it's like they have to almost play up the fact that they are full figured or, you know, or big and like they have to make that a joke. Now, I think Michael Moy, if I'm not mistaken, I saw some of these retrospectives that he does. Like he talks about how he loved like like Laurel and Hardy. If you go back to like the comedy of the 1930s, whether it was Laurel or Hardy or the Three Stooges, it's like they would always have like some full-figured woman be like a comic foil for them. Yes. Right? This is like, I guess the, the word would be a trope. This is a very standard trope that they would use for this. But you have to, I always give them credit for uh, being good sports about it. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, and, and the, the ladies, are, they're very enthusiastic. They're very earnest about what they're doing. And it works. It, I think it fits into the show very well. And there was this uh, scene where Al does the the tear, and you know that's a reference to the uh, Keep America Beautiful uh, public service campaign. Some people have a deep, abiding respect for the natural beauty that was once this country, and some people don't. People start pollution. People can stop it. And that was referenced in Death of a Shoe Salesman from season seven. And one actually was, I'd say, one of my favorite podcasts from season seven, just because of the the sheer amount of references that were in that. And if you recall, that was uh, Alex did that with Dan and Lacey. 
So if you go back to listen to that episode, I think it was a wonderful podcast, you know, about that particular episode. But for those of you who don't know, if you don't remember, Iron Ice Cody, who plays the actor in the Keep America Beautiful campaign, was actually an Italian guy. (laughs) His name was Espera Oscar de Corti, and he was very famous for playing Native American in films. (laughs) (laughs) And his most uh, famous was that that particular uh, public service announcement. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's why it's, it's like there's a hypocrisy with Alan, hypocrisy with Ionized Cody in a way. And what's funny is like Peg says, it's like, what a load. <laughs> <laughs> Peg is also hiding her pregnancy again. That's Katie Seagal. So it's like popcorn in magazines around her. Yes. So we're getting to the end of the season. So uh, she would give birth uh, shortly, I think, after the season was over. And, and folks, if you want to feel old, that baby, is Sarah Grace White, is now all grown up, an actress and singer, and has her own website. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, she's like, yep, yep. And she's uh, appeared in some of her mother's shows, too. So good luck to her. Wow. Uh, that, that does uh, make us feel uh, yes, a little old. a little. <laughs> so Al enters the door singing, I'm in the money. I'm in the money. I'm in the money. Did I tell you about the cutest thing Paulina did at the mayor's office today? Uh, We don't want to hear about your fat friends. (laughs) They're not fat. They just eat way, way too much. So, Carolyn, uh, you're you're a fan of Broadway. Where's that from? I think it's from 42nd Street. Absolutely. We're in the money. We're in the money. We've got a lot of what it takes to get along. We're in the money. The sky is sunny. Oh, man, depression, you are through. You've done us wrong, oh. 42nd Street, the musical, not the street. <laughs> <laughs> Although, yeah, back in 1994, it wasn't, uh, 42nd Street didn't have a good reputation. Oh, but no, uh, today, no. today it does. <laughs> it does, yes. Carolyn, you're going to have to take me to a Broadway show on one of my layovers, in whenever I have the long New York City layover. Once things return back to normal, of course. When I'll be happy to. Fine. I'll be happy to, the, yeah. Yeah, I've never really gone to a show. I've gone to a lot of shows in L.A., but I've never really gone to a show in New York City before. I'd love to do that. When, when 2021 rolls around and things start opening up again, give me a call, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> no, nothing, nothing, like, nothing like Broadway. Yeah. Uh, actually, uh, Chris, I can give you a little tidbit of useless information on that. If you actually go to Broadway and listen to a show, like let's say, I'll take 42nd Street as an example, which I did see on Broadway. If you see that show in Chicago or LA or any place else, it's going to actually sound very different. Oh, yeah? And the reason why, and Carolyn, I don't know if you know this, but the Musicians Union in New York actually dictates how many musicians will be in a production. Oh, yeah. So what happens is... The writer and composer, let's say, defines that, you know, this show is supposed to have so many violins, so many trumpets, drums, etc., clarinets. The Musicians Union in New York usually adds more. So when you watch a show on Broadway, the musical, the, the music that is played by the band is much more, it's a much more richer sound because there's much more musicians playing there than what the uh, actual artist, you know, the composer had specified. So you won't get that in Chicago or Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. That's hmm. true. Al calls Marcy's bank and has her demoted to drive up teller. You swine. <laughs> and our next door McNugget. 
that you have cost me my job at the bank again. They have demoted me to drive up teller again. What happened? Al called the bank president and asked, how could you call yourself environmentally correct and yet have an employee who would disconnect the smog device on her car? I'll have you know that I religiously get my car tuned up and I will expose you for the liar that you are. I will prove myself innocent of these false allegations. My car is no gas guzzler. It is clean Marcy, as a... I disconnected your smog device. <laughs> you <laughs> if I may be so patient as to ask why I'm a guy <laughs> well, just come with me and we can disconnect that too <laughs> so this happened in season four so it's not the first time that uh, Marcy's been demoted I do have to say Kyoto National Bank is a is a pretty tough employer. They're always demoting Marcy, putting her in chicken suits. You know, <laughs> I know yes. I thought was supposed to be like a parable on the travails of the working woman or what. But <laughs> I mean, the, the, Marcy's ability to keep her head up is uh, pretty 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 amazing when you think about it. Yeah, as a former banker, I, I I used to work in the banking industry. I always laugh at these these banker jokes, especially about being demoted to drive through teller. <laughs> that's, that's that's not actually a demotion. Your teller station can change from day to day. It might be the front, it might be the back, it might be the drive-through. It's something that everybody has to do. But uh, it, usually, drive-through teller is everyone's least favorite. So, but it's not really a demotion. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it does suck. Though. It does. Yeah, she she gets knocked on a lot, comes up. Yeah. So you know, I love how Jefferson gets in trouble. But yeah. to me, I think the best the best part is. Man, I love this gig. I never realized how much power I've got. Yeah, but Dad, if you don't really believe in this ecology stuff, I mean, doesn't that make you a lying bag of sleaze? <laughs> yes, son, but a rich lying bag of sleaze. You see, we celebrities don't really believe the stuff we're paid to say. Well, then why do you do it? To make money and get out of the house. That is the American dream, and by God, I'm living it. I'm so happy, I could almost cry. In fact, I am crying. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny, like, about, like, celebrity spokespeople. It's like sometimes, like, you find out later that they really don't give a damn what, the, <laughs> like what, what they're advertising, just as long as they get paid. Exactly. Yeah, that sort of makes sense. Well, 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 10 years after this, the people who put together South Park, you know, Trey Parker and Matt Stone, Team America used this trope a lot. Very, very funny. And I think, I think Al is articulating the start of this. You're like, wait a minute, maybe those people are just being paid and don't really mean what they say. What? <laughs> Although all these things I've done with it is to buy a suit. And, and by the way, I love, I love Al in a suit. It's always hilarious. Yeah. And, and I also love how he's got that tear in his pocket. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like that whole Iron Eyes Cody joke. And I don't know, like, I mean, I don't know what the story is with Iron Eyes Cody in terms of like, did he really believe the, the whole keep America beautiful thing? I, you know, I, I assume he did, but it's just funny. Like, you know, I don't know if they're poking fun at, again, a celebrity spokesperson who doesn't believe what they're actually hawking. I don't know if Iron Eyes got interviewed enough to, for us to determine that things were a lot more innocent back then. 
in the 70s. <laughs> My friends and I are doing the right thing. Why? Because we're carpooling. Good morning, ladies. Morning, now. When I'm off to work, I'm not selfish. Because I drive to work with my... My friends. How about some donut holes, Al? Thank you, Monique. That's enough. As you can see, when you have a lot riding on your tires, you help not only the environment, but you make friends. And after a leisurely breakfast of donut holes and sorghum, you can sit back and enjoy the ride. Now, you know, there was this very subtle line <laughs> that Al says, uh, which I think a lot of people miss. And it goes like this. Is you have a lot riding on your tires. You help, <laughs> you help not only the environment, but you make friends. After a leisurely breakfast of donut holes and sorghum, you could sit back and enjoy the ride. <laughs> when I saw that, what the hell is sorghum? So it's a wheat native to warm regions of the old world. It's also a major source of grain and a feed for livestock. <laughs> So a little a little dig at uh <laughs> Oh and by the way, Luigi, there's your French reference. That slogan was made popular by Michelin Tires. My baby got her driver's license. Baby, I'm eighteen, Mom. I still don't think you're ready to drive alone. Well, who knows if you could handle the car in an emergency. But Mom, you can't protect me all my life. At some point you've gotta let go. Before I do, you're going to have two things. A little more experience and a set of Michelins. Michelin, because so much is riding on your tires. Aha! Yeah, that's the only French reference I've ever heard in Married with Children so far. The girls walk in. Now, the girls are coming over to discuss next week's itinerary. Remember, no fat jokes. But they're, they're fat. <laughs> they're not fat. They just have cream filling. <laughs> Come in, ladies! Hi! 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 happy since you installed seats in your refrigerator <laughs> uh, allow me to introduce my family this is my wife Peggy this is my son Shecky oh Al we're going to LA just think of the things to see Wendy's Winchell's Der Vader Schnitzel <laughs> oh it's so exciting <laughs> So now the girls are hungry and they want to go eat, so they go over to the refrigerator. Paulina pulls out a milk carton and puts it in front of Alexis, and we see a picture of Seven. Yes. Did you guys notice that it was only like maybe two audience members total even reacted and they laughed for about a half a second? <laughs> that poor kid, man. Nobody likes him. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, my theory about Seven is that I hope he made it safely. I'm sure he hitchhiked safely back to Wanker County. Way they didn't call the cops about it because no one calls the cops in Wanker County. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it makes you also wonder if that was done in post-production. 
the way it looked, I'm not sure. It's like they pulled a milk carton out, but did somebody say, maybe let's add seven. Now, mind you, this is the first reference to seven that we get after we last see him on the episode when Steve returns. Uh, right. The, uh, pirate, the pirate episode. Peggy and the mm-hmm. Pirates, yeah. That's right, Peggy and the Pirates. So we will see uh, a image of seven again at the season closer. But these are the only two references we have to seven post season seven. That's right. That's right. So Alexis says that they're going to be on Vicky. So again, this is a little bit of a time capsule. So Vicky was Vicky Lawrence, who was very famous as the star of Mama's Family. She originally gained fame being on the Carol Burnett show. For, and she had a talk show between 1992 and 1994 earned a number of daytime Emmy awards, including outstanding talk show host, but however, it only ended after two seasons, mainly because of creative disagreements between the host and her syndicator, Group W. So I don't know, do you guys remember this show? I remember seeing ads for it, but no, otherwise no. <laughs> I do, I do not, no. I, I, I mean, I remember Mama's Family and the Carol Burnett show, but not the, not the other one. I remember well, actually watching. There's a very memorable episode of Vicky for me. So I was in high school. I was a sophomore in high school. And it was the afternoon. We had an afternoon class or maybe a very late morning. And what happened was it started snowing. And we actually had like a bit of a blizzard that day. Mm-hmm. And it was a very rare circumstance where they actually dismissed us from school early. Wow. It was pretty much, it's like, you know, they were like, the snow's coming down hard, school, school's dismissed, everyone can leave. And we waited, I'm going to say, for about a half hour for it to happen. And we had televisions in our classroom. So uh, it just so happened, uh, this classmate of mine, I remember his name is Patrick, he had a remote control and he turns the TV on. <laughs> <laughs> and the English teacher at the front of the, uh, it was an English class, the teacher was in front. You know, he just didn't like really take much notice of it. He thought maybe somebody had gotten up and turned the television on. So we were watching Vicky. <laughs> and what happened was for like five minutes, uh, it just so happened that uh, Vicky opened up her blouse and bared her breasts. What? <laughs> But what we found out was it was a prosthetic. It wasn't real, but it was like for the shock value. And I remember, now mind you, this is a Catholic high school. <laughs> <laughs> the teacher runs to the back of the, of the of the TV like and shuts it off. In the meantime, my friend's behind him, like turning the TV back on with the remote and doesn't notice. And he goes and he rips the uh, power cord out of the wall. He's like, okay, let's continue our English lesson. Wow. <laughs> and about five minutes later, the principal uh, had us evacuate the school. But you know, that's my one remembrance of the Vicky show. <laughs> that is great. That is a great story. Paulina then says that they're going to be guest voices on Captain Planet. Oh. Your powers combined, I am Captain Planet. Captain Planet, he's our hero. Gonna take pollution down to zero. He's our powers magnified. And he's fighting on the planet side. Captain Planet, he's our hero. Gonna take pollution down to zero. Gonna help him put asunder. Bad guys who like to so, uh, Chris, uh, you seem to be a big Captain Planet fan. Go ahead. 
Yeah, man, it was a great show. Uh, I was I was thinking earlier that uh, for, for those who don't know, Captain Planet was a cartoon that ran in the early 1990s. It was a children's program. The show was 100% created to teach children basically earth conservation. Everything from reducing, reusing, recycling to reducing like carbon emissions and smog, things like that. It even had episodes about HIV and all types of other uh, I guess what you could call adult topics, but it's shown it in a light that uh, eight and nine and 10 year old kids would understand. And I was thinking earlier, I was like, with all the, the big push for like climate change and global warming and things like that, I'm really surprised with movies we've had made on uh, cartoons that were, you know ran in the 80s and 90s, the, all the, the reboots and movies we've had made on those. I'm surprised we haven't had a Captain Planet movie. Uh, I mean, I think it would, you know, it, it'd be kind of corny, honestly. But I mean, look at some, look at some of the other stuff they're pop, they're pumping out, and with, you know, with today's CGI and stuff, I think it would look pretty cool. I think I'd, I'd go see it just for nostalgic purposes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that seems to be the trend in Hollywood. I would say that the trend is that if something was successful in the past, you know, they have a market for it. So that's which is one of the reasons why. I think, you know, the last decade, decade and a half, all they keep doing is recycling things that were hits at various points in time, recasting them with new actors, maybe slightly recycled scripts. I just feel like a lot of the originality has been lost, particularly with the movies. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Uh, totally. Yeah. I mean, and I'd say like where there's maybe a little bit of creativity is in television. It's just that the networks really don't have the market share that they had. So things like, let's say, Netflix or Hulu, where they have original series, like they can explore something and really give writers the ability to write something smart. The the network system that existed you know, in the 90s and earlier really doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. You know, I was just looking it up. Uh, it ran for six seasons. So, I mean, that's a pretty successful run. Uh, really? Wow. Yeah, yeah, it ran for six seasons. It was on. It was one. It was part of the uh, Saturday morning lineup. I've heard that you know there really isn't a Saturday morning uh, children's lineup nowadays. But uh, you know, during that stretch of my life, I watched every Saturday morning. It was Captain Planet, X Men, Power Rangers, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, it was part of that whole that whole lineup. I think at one point Bobby's World was on Saturday morning. But yeah, I mean, it was a good show. I, I think it would make for a good movie with the trend, uh, like you said, of, of all the remakes and reboots now. So, Al introduces the girls to his family. So Al says, this is my son, Shecky. When I came across that, I said, you know, this has got to be something. So I found that there's a comedian by the name of Shecky Green. Yes. He was known for his nightclub performances in Las Vegas, where he became a headliner in the 1950s. He's appeared in several films, including Tony Rome, History of the World, Part 1, and Splash. And he guest starred on TV shows such as Mad About You, Laverne and Shirley, Love American Style, and Combat. I love dialect stories. There's a story about the man that committed adultery. And he went to the corner church, and he said to the priest, he says, Father, he says, I've done a terrible thing. I've broken one of the commandments. I've committed adultery. He says, I beg of you, I'd like some absolution. The priest says, well, Tim, we all have our idiosyncrasies. Who was the woman? He's no father. I can never divulge the woman's name. Please don't ask me to divulge the woman's name. He says, Tim, until you can tell me the woman's name, I'm afraid I cannot give you absolution. Was it Mrs. McCaffrey, whose husband's the butcher on the corner? No, father, it wasn't Mrs. McCaffrey. Please don't ask me the woman's name. I can never divulge the woman's name. He says, Tim, I'm telling you, until you tell me the woman's name, I cannot give you absolution. Was it Mrs. McGinnis? He said, no, father, it wasn't Mrs. McGinnis. Please, father. 
I can never divulge the woman's name. He said, Tim, until you can make up your mind to give me the woman's name, I can't give you absolution. And Tim started to walk out of the church. And his friends, well, Tim, did you get absolution? He said, no, but I got some wonderful leads. <laughs> so, Caroline, you said that you it sounded familiar. So you're familiar with Shecky Green? Yes, yes, because he started off, like a lot of these other comedians, he started off in the Catskills. In the, in the days before, jet travel was uh, as cheap and widespread as it is now. Well, not right now, but you know what I mean in general. Yeah. Uh, people were going big. Yeah, they call it the Borscht Belt, right? The Borscht Belt, exactly right. People, mostly from the New York City area and Philadelphia and places like that, they go up to the Poconos or up to the Catskill Mountain. It's a mountain range in New York. Very old, very settled, and uh, and full of, full of old resorts. A lot of the uh, greatest comedians, people like Rodney Dangerfield, uh, Don Rickles, people like that, started off there in what's called the Borscht Belt. They were known for their corny and insult humor, mostly. And so, so calling him Shecky is just like, you know, what you said is corny. And I also like how he pulls his hair. <laughs> Usually people leave Bud's hair alone, but <laughs> I'll say, okay, Shecky, <laughs> Knock it off. <laughs> these are my these are my friends. <laughs> you know, one of the things I can say about like what's happened as a result of COVID nineteen is that because people can't fly, you know, which has obviously uh, hurt uh, Chris <laughs> working yeah. in the airline industry. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people, like you know, again, I can speak for the New York City area. It's like people who live like in New York, New Jersey, have pretty much this past summer done day trips like they'll go to for example cape may new jersey you know because they'll they'll willing to drive let's say three hours spend a day someplace and maybe drive no more than three hours back so they almost have rediscovered places like the poconos or like hunter mountain in new york state or you know northern connecticut you know because those are places you can drive to in a few hours explore and then come back home so you don't have to spend the night at a hotel from what i've heard this has been nationwide and worldwide that's what people are doing i remember the uh one of the vacation episodes, Al says, we're going to go when they have no other choice. We're going to see America. So Alexis says, we're going to L.A. Just think of the things to see. Wendy's, Winchell's, and Dervina Schnitzel. <laughs> <laughs> so Wendy's is a burgle place. Winchell's is a donut chain founded by Vern Winchell in 1948 in Temple City, California. And there are over 170 stores in six western states, as well as Guam, Saipan, and Saudi Arabia. And Derwina Schnitzel is an American fast food chain founded in 1961 that specializes in hot dogs, also known as the world's largest hot dog chain. Wiener Schnitzel locations are found predominantly in California and Texas. Again, so this show is shot in Los Angeles, so they're making references to things that are local in Los Angeles. East Coasters like you and me are not as familiar with these. Yeah, totally, totally not. Yeah, we have Wendy's and everything else. What? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> So now Kelly comes in with a dilemma. <laughs> in here, pumpkin! <laughs> you know, tomorrow I'm giving a speech. And what with you getting employee of the month and butt on the queen's list... Uh, that's Dean's list. <laughs> yeah, like there's a difference. It's going to be a banner day for the Bundys. Well, that's just it, Dad. I may not be employee of the month. See... Tomorrow, a certain environmental group is going to be speaking in front of the extermination company. And when they find out that a certain spokesman is related to a certain verminator, I'm going to lose my job. Oh, no, I'm speaking at a horrible toxic waste plant. The hell do you think we are? I mean, until last week, that's how we advertised. Pumpkin? Pumpkin? Pa? Where? No, 
what you have to do. So Al says they're going to be talking at a horrible toxic waste plant. And Kelly says, what the hell do you think we are? That's the way we advertised up until last week. <laughs> I thought it was pretty funny. He's like, but pumpkin. And like Paulina says, pumpkin pie, where? And like they go in and like they break the club off the refrigerator, you know, go raid it. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty funny. And in the 90s, everyone had those in their cars. Yeah. Absolutely. The club, the club was very yeah. common. Although, but you should have done it before. You should have put that on before they came in. <laughs> I, I remember during that time period, you know, I almost I feel like everybody had one. I remember my dad had one. And, you know, you would hear stories of like people getting their car stolen and the thieves would leave the club on the curb, you know, for the <laughs> for the owner. <laughs> yeah. So Al makes a big decision. You are the greatest daddy in the whole world. You gave up all your dreams for me. Why? Well, I... Mm. Love me? No, Pumpkin, I was going to say I lost my mind. <laughs> so I don't get my 15 minutes of fame. That just means Polly Shore gets a half hour. He is funny, isn't he? <laughs> no. But Pumpkin, my job as a parent is not to be famous. It's just to do the best that I can so that my children can have the things I never did. The world I leave behind. That is my legacy to you. You first. <laughs> so he says, so I don't get my 15 minutes of fame. That just means Paulie Shore gets a half hour. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you remember, Paulie Shore was his manager at Burger Track in season three, episode 14, a three job, no income family. Yes. Unforgettable. <laughs> yes. Now, one thing I'll say about this scene is that it sort of reminds me of the whole Andy Griffith scene. You remember when Al and Bud, they have that uh, scene in front of Lake Chicamacomico? This is when Jefferson marries Marcy, and he finds out that it's, it's, the whole thing was a scam. Yep. Right, right. <laughs> so, I mean, they, they again have this like littered scene, but you know, at least like their tails don't fall off. They don't grow tails <laughs> and they fall off and do all of that, right? <laughs> How funny would that have been if they did that? I want to see uh, Kelly with the tail. You know, we see Al and Bud, but I want to see Kelly. <laughs> yeah, so, so, and the thing is, the scene ends with Al at a drinking fountain. Like, this rust-colored water comes out, and Al then turns to Kelly and says, You first, sweetheart. <laughs> I have to say, I, I really enjoy these uh, semi-earnest last two scenes between Al and Kelly. I think they're really done well. There's, there's a mixture of genuine emotion and total silliness. I, I love it when Al has to, has to uh, wrestle between being selfish and following his dreams and letting someone else follow theirs. And I'm always a little surprised when it happens, but it's always nice to watch. <laughs> yep. Once again, Al, you know, Al is like, he really, he really will make a sacrifice for his kids. You, wouldn't, you don't believe it until you see it, but he does. Yeah. And that is the, that's really the theme. For all that, you know, the character of Al Bundy is in terms of, I, I, I'm going to say, you know, I'll, I'll say this. It's like, you know, Carolyn, as, as a woman, most women that I knew who never watched the show would usually say it's like, oh, they, they, they found the show to be misogynistic because, you know, they would also say it's like, well, you know, Al Bundy is a pig. He has like you know, such low opinion of women. Like, in other words, if you just listen to like what he comes out of his mouth, it's one thing. Exactly. But, you know, when you actually, if you actually watch the show and pay attention, it's like he's almost like an Archie Bunker type character where, you know, Archie would be saying these things on All in the Family, but he was almost like Carol O'Connor was effectively spoofing what 
the who Archie Bunker represented because you know they would use it to comedic effect but yes. you know if Al, for all that Al says it's like he deep down he does love his family he does love his wife he never cheats on her he tries to do what's right for his children as best he can you know because he is a flawed character but he's not a person who only thinks of himself you know he's not selfish in that way exactly exactly and it seems like this even a little stinger at the end you know, oh, you first pumpkin. <laughs> it's, like, it's a very sweet scene. They're arm in arm. They're walking through this horrible park. But there's always there's always something to cut the sweetness at the end. You know, you first, sweetheart. <laughs> a little bit of uh, ironic twist right there, right? <laughs> he's, he knows what he's drinking, but he's like, oh, let, let's give it to the girl first, right? And that's the comedy. No, ma'am. We'll be right back to wrap up this week's review. Be sure to join their Facebook group page, for all the podcast news and updates. Be sure to subscribe to them on the Apple Podcast app and please leave a review telling them what you think of the show. To subscribe to their YouTube channel, just go to Channels and search up Married with Children Podcast. Join their Patreon and support your favorite podcast with a small monthly donation. You can email them at marriedwchildrenpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for checking out this review. Okay, so let's wrap this up. Chris, how many people can you fit in your car for your carpool? Well, I like this episode. I think it has a, a, a lot of funny parts. Obviously, I, I think the, the three women that they uh, casted to play the uh, ride shares, or I'm not sure what to call them, the, the carpoolers, rather, I think that I think they casted them really well. You know, we touched on that a little bit earlier. Uh, you know, they're obviously full figured, but they're not, you know, like repulsive like some of the women that Al has had in the shoe stores. Or else, if they were, then it wouldn't make sense to, that Al would so openly embrace them, you know, and, and choose to do the uh, the carpool with them. So I liked that. I think it's a good episode overall. I'm gonna say three and a half people in a car out of five for me for this one. So, Carolyn, how many people can you fit in your car for the carpool? Well, Luigi, for this one, I think I can go all the way. I think I can fit five people in my car, including the uh, shotgun seat. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember first seeing this. It was one of my favorites. But when I go back and look at it, it actually was uh, pretty good. All the characters worked together really well. There was terrific chemistry. The fact folks were there, but they were not taken too seriously by anyone, including their targets. The women were very, very funny, very warm. And uh, I really loved how they ended up all dancing around Al. And of course, the moment of happiness, Kelly comes in and he has to make a decision. And he makes the right one. Even though it's sad, it is consistent with the Al that we know. Um, only complaint may be too little Jefferson. Can always use a little more Jefferson. I love Marcy's part. I thought she was just perfect in this, too. And the kids didn't have much to do, but what they did was absolutely great. So, yes, I would fill my car for this one. Five out of five. That's great. So I'm going to fit three and a half people into my carpool. Just like uh, you guys said, uh, this was a great episode. Solid episode. Lots of laughs, but I just can't quite put my finger on what doesn't make this a four or a five for me. It has a lot of pieces that are great, but 
you know, when I look at the episode critically, I just don't understand why I I don't have a very high opinion of it. Like, you know, I think that before I started analyzing these episodes the way that Alex uh, taught me to, uh, I would probably have rated this at least a four and a half, if not a five episode for the laugh out loud quality. Yeah. But now that now that I've given it a critical look, I, I don't know. I just don't know like what it is. But hey, I mean, that's the part of the journey, right, Chris? Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't, I don't, you know, I mean, it has some very good moments, but it's not like a, a Hall of Fame episode, you know, like your, uh, you got to shop around or it's a bundleful life. These, these fives that we've seen where it's just crack, you know, you're cracking up from start to finish. It does have a good storyline. I think the casting was well. But, uh, I mean, it's a good episode. If I'm if I'm binging it, if I'm binging a season, it's one I'll watch. It's a good episode. I, I laugh at it. So that's why I give it a three and a half. All right, I said I was going, and I'm going. But let me tell you something. I'm not going to just disappear. You'll see me again. Wherever a fat woman shoves a smelly foot <laughs> in front of some poor guy's face, I'll be there. And now, the last word on this episode. Calling in from his two-thirds acre retirement property on Lake Chickamacomico that the government hasn't yet padlocked, ladies and gentlemen, I give you the creator and executive producer of the Married with Children podcast, Mr. Alex Edwards. The weather's crazy and these storms are really bad. But the good news is, you don't need heat or electricity, even, to listen to the Married with Children podcast. So we are still here, through it all, to give you guys a a little bit of escape from these cold, cold days. No heat and no electricity are scary, but nothing is scarier than Ride Scare. The boyfriends of Cher collector plates. By the way, is it my turn to date her yet? My number must be coming up soon. Cleaner, greener Chicago. Well, there's that famous scene of Marcy just like staring off into nothingness that we see in the intros with that greener, cleaner shirt on. Bud made the Dean's List. Yeah, that's great. The chick they sent to talk about carpooling. <laughs> wow, and how deceiving, huh? Peg Consuela, the housekeeper. <laughs> you know, that's the beginning of uh, the zillion jokes you cannot make anymore in the world. I mean, you guys better appreciate this. Listen, we could all get fat. I've gained weight. I'm five foot eight, and I made it up to 192 pounds one time. So I know what it's like to be fat. Right now, I'm 150. But these types of jokes, they make it so that you can laugh at this, because it is funny to watch somebody let themselves completely go, because we know that it's all our fault, and it's all our self-control, and you could laugh at somebody's lack of self-control, and uh, that kind of stuff. It's funny. You know, there is a humor to it, and I'm glad that these women <clears throat> have a good sense of humor and were willing to do things like this. I mean, good lord, they pulled out all the stops. Every fat joke I've ever heard, I think, is in this episode. Al carpools, and the girl says it sounds like you're full of hate. And then he says, well, at least I'm full. (laughs) 
I love how there's three in the back without getting squashed, and yet nobody is sitting in the front passenger seat. It just looks like like a pile of food there. <laughs> like, they can't even go to work without eating the entire time. I mean, I suppose you could, like, skip breakfast, hurry up and shower, whatever, and get your makeup on and hair done and rush. I feel bad for women. They have to do all that before they go to work. I mean, Jesus Christ. So I could see why they would maybe have breakfast on the way, but Jesus Christ. That's a seven-course meal they're having. All of Al's jokes are gold in this whole segment of, of the carpool. They offer Al courtside Chicago Bulls, oh my God, tickets. I mean, wow. You do not pass up the Chicago Bulls in the 90s. Even when Jordan wasn't there, Pippen was killing it. The commercial they shoot where Al has that plastic tear down his face. <laughs> I mean, what a comedic genius he is. This episode would just never have been made today. This episode is something you should show a lot of people because of that. This is like a time capsule because of where it goes and how hard it goes and how it's still cohesive. It's still good. It still moves along. It has a a lot of everything here. And one of the most amazing things is the milk carton with the missing kid on the side. It didn't seem like the audience got the joke too much. Uh, I don't know if they didn't recognize this seven or whatever, but uh, it was a very uh, lackluster chuckle out of the audience. Um, But we all get it and we love it. Bud putting the club on the refrigerator door handle, (laughs) the thing you use so thieves can't steal your car, he puts it on the refrigerator hand. Like, that doesn't even make sense, because they would just pull both doors open at one time. I mean, it would make no sense to have the club there anyway. It does nothing. But they still, you know, put the icing on the cake, no pun intended, by having the uh, fat woman rip the the club and snap it in half just to get in that refrigerator. (laughs) Al gives up his hopes and dreams for Kelly. That is uh, something Jamie would really love. I give this episode a 5 out of 5. Maybe you think I'm crazy. Maybe I'm just rating it because I'm seeing it through the eyes of today and how insane it is and how we'll never get anything like this ever again. Unless it's like, you know, deliberate, you know, like someone's deliberately being politically incorrect in, in a way to just do it, but I don't think they would do it with with the fat thing. I think I I, I think I'd see a racially charged um, episode of something on some underground thing or at, you know on FX or whatever more than I'd see a a fat um, centric episode. So yeah, my eyes of today, man, five out of five. Uh, I thought it was just hilarious and it was a, a great premise, good story, good stuff. That's Al, folks. Okay, so thanks, everyone. So, Chris, thanks again. This has been great season eight for you and me. Uh, I really uh, enjoyed recording all of these episodes. I, I really think that, you know, we have a great groove going, and I'm really looking forward to season nine, which will be coming up soon. So, Carolyn, thank you again. It's really been a pleasure getting to know you these past two weeks. I At least I could speak for myself, Chris, but, I mean, this has really been a thrill to have, you know, a... Married with Children superfan, join us. Uh, it's also have it's also great on the podcast to have a female perspective on things, you know, because I think sometimes you know the Married with Children fan base has has a reputation of just being very like testosterone driven. So female perspective is always appreciated. Yeah, especially if there's any more other ladies out listening on the podcast, we'd encourage you to listen. But uh, we hope we can have you back someday. 
thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we we ladies a few, but a few of us are like Amazons, very mighty. <laughs> yeah, it's been a pleasure, Carolyn. I, I really enjoyed visiting with you these last couple of weeks. It's been a pleasure. Oh, thanks, Chris. Thanks, Luigi. Thanks, everybody. Next week, the Married with Children podcast will be reviewing The Legend of Ironhead Haynes when another complaint from a fat woman at the shoe store results in Al losing his parking space and being reprimanded not to insult any more fat women, he, Jefferson, and the rest of his no-man group seeks out a legendary guru macho man to teach them how to battle political correctness. Meanwhile, Peggy, Kelly, and Bud hide a secret refrigerator full of food from Al. I can't make any promises, but next week's episode is going to be a big one for the podcast. We hope to have a special guest host with us, so tune in. Same Bundy time, same Bundy channel. Thank you. We'll see you there.